Good morning. I'd like to dedicate our time together in prayer. So if you'll join me, let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for the time that we've had in worship. And now we come before you and dedicate our minds and our hearts that you would fill them, that you would teach us your word, that you would soften our hearts before you, that you would fill us with your spirit and transform our lives. We pray that you would do great things in and through us in the months ahead. We thank you so much that we get to be part of this family here at Grace. We pray that in every way we would glorify your son, Jesus, who is worthy. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, if you're on the edge of an aisle, if you'll look under your chair, I think on some of the aisles, you have a stack of booklets. If you'll take one and pass it down, one per family, please. Uh, These are similar to what we gave you last year. This is our Every Knee booklet. This is a shorter and updated version of the book we gave you last year. It'll walk you through our Every Knee initiative, give you a sense of what our church is up to, what we believe the Lord is calling us to do. Inside that Every Knee booklet, you will find a a commitment card similar to what you turned in last year. That's mostly for folks who are new to grace, who want to join us in this season of our church. That commitment card is for you to take and think about and pray about. And if you'd like, you can turn it in next week to join what we're doing here. It's also a way if you want to adjust the commitment that you made last year, you can do that. Well, this week and next week, we are going to be refreshing and reminding you guys of our Every Knee initiative. This is what we believe God has called our church to do over a couple years. So this past year, we're right in the middle of it, and next year, this is what we believe God is calling us to do, what he's doing in and through Grace Bible Church. Now, to kind of remind you of what we're doing as a church, let me take you back to some of the history that you saw in that video. So this diagram is actually in the booklet. It's probably hard to see from your seat. So I think it's page six or seven or eight, somewhere around there in your booklet. You can see the history of our church. We've been around for a while. So if you're new to Grace, it might feel like we're fairly new. We've actually been around uh, 53 years now, one year longer than when that first video was shot. In 1965, Grace Bible Church began with just 10 families actually in Bryan. So on the other side of Texas A&M University. Very small church, but it was planted with a commitment to four things. To the grace of God, always keeping that first. To teaching the word of God. To reaching the college campus. And to sending missionaries to the nations. Those four values are our pillars. That's still what's true of our church today, even though We've grown. So we started in 1965. In 1974, the church moved to the current Anderson campus, but it was the building that's where the college meets today, kind of the older building over there. So we started there in 1974. Then in 1995, we built the green roofed building that you think of as the Anderson campus and moved across the street. It was a much bigger space, but we filled it almost instantly. And so the elders and staff uh, began to pray through God. God, what what do you want us to do next? We're completely out of room. There is literally no more parking here. And God led us to a new way to do 
church, which is called multi-site. We're one church meeting in multiple locations. That allows us to reach more and more neighborhoods and communities here in the Brazos Valley. So we, we started our first campus, and it was actually not Southwood. You may not know that. Our first multi-site campus was the Mandarin campus, which now is its kind of its own autonomous church campus, I think is what we call it. They're still meeting an amazing Mandarin church campus. Then we planted the Southwood campus in 2008, a little over 10 years ago. We started with about 150 families here. Um, Within five years, we'd totally maxed the place out, maxed out the parking and the streets and everything. And so we knew, well, we we we're called to do more because God has filled everything that we've done. And so we launched the Creekside campus in 2015. They meet in Pebble Creek Elementary in the south part of town. And Creekside began with about 270 people in worship. Now they're running 450 people on average. And just last week, Easter Sunday, they had 700 people in their worship service. And that's done. My kids go to that school. It's not going to fit any more people than that. So We know that God is calling us to keep moving forward. And so every knee is basically us going before God and saying, God, what what do you want to do through us next? How can we make ourselves available to you to keep doing more? And so the Every Knee Initiative, which kicked off a year ago, is a two-year season here at Grace Bible Church where we're offering ourselves to the Lord everything we are and have for the Lord to grow some new things at Grace. And as it was said in the video, if you were here last, last May, you know that we all as a family committed $22 million over these two years to pay for all the ongoing ministry that Grace Bible Church does, to build a home for the Creekside campus, to plant our next local campus, and to begin to plant campuses throughout the country and throughout the world. So you saw some updates. I just want to review some of those that you saw in the video so you kind of know where your money's going, where this initiative is moving. So let me just refresh. If if you're not sure, this is where our church meets. So we started with the Anderson campus uh, about 30 years ago next to Texas A&M, but just on the south side. So that's where the Anderson campus is. Our second campus was actually the Mandarin campus, which meets across Texas Avenue still today. Then we have us here at Southwood. And then Creekside is being built right there. So the intersection of basically that's Rock Prairie and William B. Fitch on the south part of town. And it's coming along nicely. Um, You saw some pictures. We've been able to pour the parking lots, which took forever because it's been raining forever. Um, So we were delayed some, but the parking lots are in and now they're preparing to pour the foundations. So they've done all the piers and beams, I think they called. And now they're getting ready to pour the foundation itself, hopefully this week or next week, if the weather Hold. So you could pray that God will bless us with the ability to pour concrete. The steel is already there at the site, so we're ready to put up walls and a roof. We just need some sun. So um, that campus is coming along well. They hope to move into it uh, early 2020 if the weather holds. So Creekside is growing, but then as we were building Creekside, God already led us to where we think the Bryan campus is supposed to be. So the next campus that's part of our church family is right there. It's on South College. College Avenue. It is literally across the street from where Grace Bible Church began. 
So the first building, which is just, it's just a foundation now, is literally right across the street from this property. This is part of what Brian calls their midtown development. If you know that area, it is just north of the, what used to be the Brian Municipal Golf Course. That whole area is being developed into a large park and a lot of new things. And we have the privilege of, of being able to look at buying a property that used to be a big church building there. It has quite a few buildings on the campus, so a chapel, it has a gymnasium. Um, it has a lot of space right there that, that people aren't really using. There's a few renters, but it's, it's a lot of open space and a lot of opportunity to reach neighborhoods that our church isn't currently reaching today. And so we're excited about how the Midtown uh, property is coming together just to fill you in on, on where we are. So we're doing our due diligence at the moment. Whenever you buy commercial property, you send engineers to go check it out, and that's what's happening. So for a few months, engineers are checking it out and studying it. If they come back and give us a thumbs up, then the next thing will be for you guys, all of you who are members, to show up. We'll have a meeting sometime this summer to vote on whether we as a church want to go ahead and buy that property and move forward with that Bryan campus location. If you say yes to that, then we as, as leaders of the church will begin putting together a, a campus team to lead that effort, to plant that campus. We'll also challenge some of you who, who have a heart for work in the city of Bryan to, to consider selling your house and moving to that neighborhood to actually plant roots in that place so that you can reach that community with the grace of God. So that's where we're headed. We're really excited about what God is doing. We'll continue to have some ministries and a school and a a small church meeting in that location as we look at it. So lots of stuff going on in Bryan. We're also starting to work towards what God wants to do outside of the Brazos Valley. And so we've had some elders and some staff take some scouting trips to go check out cities here in the United States that are similar to ours. So we've been checking out college towns basically, because that's the context that we really know how to reach. We're also starting a church residency or a a church planters residency program this fall. So we're going to have our pilot year here at Grace Bible Church. A number of our staff are going to be teaching and training. We have three participants go through it during this pilot year to try to figure out how to go plant campuses either in the United States or around the world. So that's where we're headed. It is a ton of stuff going on at Grace Bible Church. I had to write it all down. It is hard to keep track of. Incredible amount that God is doing here at our church, an incredible amount of work that's going into the Every Knee Initiative at the moment. And that should lead us to pause for a moment and ask, why are we doing this? Why are we working so hard and giving so generously towards this? Why don't we just enjoy what we have, and let other people plant churches in other places. The answer is found in the book of Acts. So if you want to turn to the book of Acts, we're going to look at the book of Acts this morning. We're going to look at chapter 1, and we're going to discover the answer to why God is calling us to do all of this work, all of these things. The book of Acts is a history book, if you didn't know that. It's a storybook. It tells the story of the birth and growth of the church. Now, since you are the church, this is actually your story. I love the book of Acts because it's so personal to us. So much of the rest of the Bible was written to the Israelites, but the book of Acts is written about you. 
It's your story as the church. It's, it's the story of where you come from. It's the story of how the church grew. It's the story of what the church is called to do. So this is very personal to us. It's our story. And God gave us this story in the book of Acts to give us courage. It's designed to give us courage to follow Jesus throughout this life, to, to do big things for the name of Jesus. So we're going to look at this story, our story. We're going to start at the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside him. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who you has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. So this book of Acts, it's It's written by a guy named Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. It's written to a guy named Theophilus, who we don't really know. I guess a friend of Luke. Through Theophilus, we have the story. So this is our story again. It's the story of the church. It's it's a story about how God's kingdom has grown on earth. And so that's what Acts is about. The story of the unstoppable growth of the kingdom of God. And Luke uses that word kingdom twice here in just the, the verses that we read. It's a very churchy word kingdom. What does it actually mean? Well, kingdom is simply God's rule on earth. So God's kingdom is is the people or the group of people through whom God's authority is exercised on earth. So what people or group of people has God been expanding his, his kingdom on earth through? Well, it's been different at different times. God's kingdom has taken different forms throughout the story of the Bible. So before Acts chapter 1, what form of the kingdom of God was on earth? What was the nation of Israel? Before Acts chapter 1, God's kingdom was at work on earth through Israel. And and what is Israel? Well, Israel is the genetic descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had an an actual political nation, the the actual nation of Israel with borders and an army and an an economy. This, This nation had been promised wonderful things by God. He promised them a big chunk of land. And prosperity and peace if only they would obey his law, the Mosaic law. But they didn't, did they? That's where the story of the Old Testament, they blew it. They didn't obey the law and so they lost 
the land and they came under oppression from other nations. But even though they had failed, God did not abandon them. He promised in the Old Testament that he would restore Israel by giving them the gift of his Holy Spirit. Who would give them the desire to obey so finally they could receive everything God had promised. And so here we are in Acts chapter 1 and Jesus says, you're about to get the Holy Spirit. And so that leads the disciples to ask the logical question right there in verse 6. So Lord Jesus, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? What they're saying is, Jesus, since the Holy Spirit is coming, is now the time when you fulfill all those promises made in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. And notice, Jesus doesn't shoot them down. He doesn't say, no, God has given up on Israel. We are done with Israel. No, he just says, it's not for you to know the times. It's not for you to know when it's going to happen. Now, we know from the rest of the New Testament, that's going to happen when Jesus returns. All of God's promises to Israel will be fulfilled at that time. In the meantime, God is doing something new. God is building his kingdom on earth in a new way, a new form of the kingdom that we call the church. So that's what we're part of. The church which begins right here in Acts chapter 1 and 2. The church, when we talk about the church, we're not talking about Grace Bible Church. This is much bigger than our one local church. We're talking about the church worldwide. This is a very new form of the kingdom of God. If you read the Old Testament and see how Israel worked, we're really different, aren't we? We're not a nation. We don't have political parties. We don't have armies. We don't have borders. We don't have a currency. We are a people, a family made up of people from all ethnicities, not just Jews. All men and women are invited here of all economic standing, of all nationality. So the church is not an American church. Grace Bible Church is not an American church for white people. It's for all people. Again, I remind you, our our second campus was the Mandarin campus because the church is for all people on earth, all welcomed into this new family of God. And what's amazing in the book of Acts is to see how this new form of the kingdom explodes. It takes off. If you do the numbers, here in Acts chapter 1, the church was probably about 70 people. Like on the whole planet, 70 people. By the end of the book of Acts, it's tens of thousands. Today, it's billions. The the church grows massively in the book of Acts. And how does it grow? Well, not through armies, not through politics, not through any of that. It grows through witnesses. And that's the second part of our summary of the book of Acts. Acts is a story of the unstoppable growth of God's kingdom through witnesses of Jesus. So notice in verse 8 that Jesus gives his disciples our, our job description in life. What is your job description as a follower of Jesus? It is to be his witness. Now, it's worth pausing for a second and thinking about that because that runs so contrary to what most of us grew up assuming. Jesus is saying your your job description is to be his witness. What he means is your job description in life is not to go to college, get married, get a career, buy a house. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. Those are all wonderful things, but they are not your reason for existence. They are not the essential thing to being a follower of Jesus. How do I know that? Well, Paul didn't have kids, didn't go to college. Amy Carmichael, great missionary, didn't get married, didn't have kids. I don't think she ever had a house. They didn't need those things because those aren't the essentials of life. That's not why we're here on earth. 
So your job description in life is not go to college, get married, buy a house, have kids. Your job description is also not, and this, this will blow some people's mind, your job description is also not come to church every Sunday and worship. Again, that's a really good thing. I'm glad you're here this morning. That's something we should do. But let's be clear. Worship, if that was our job description, God would just take us home. As soon as we trust in Jesus, we'd be because worship's going to be way better up there. And the band was good this morning, right? They, they did a great job, but they're not choirs of angels. They're not a heavenly choir. Worship will be so much better in heaven. That is not why God has left you here on earth. You are here for one mission, to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, a witness was a legal term in the first century, just like it is today. Think of a court of law. A witness is someone who testifies to the truth of an event. So what is the event that you are called to testify of? Well, we're told at the end of Luke's other book, the gospel of Luke, Jesus tells us what the specific event is that we're to be witnesses of. He, that is Jesus, told them, his disciples, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. That's what we're witnessing to. That Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. So that all who come to Jesus can receive forgiveness of sins. That's the good news of the gospel. We're called to witness of that. Now the disciples, they got to be witnesses in a really cool way. They got to actually see it, right? They they got to see Jesus live and die and rise from the dead with their own eyes. So they got to tell people, hey, I saw that. We don't get that privilege. We didn't actually see that with our own eyes, but we do see Jesus at work in our lives. I hope you see that. I hope you have seen Jesus come into your life and set you free from the shame and guilt of sin. I hope you have seen Jesus come into your life and give you hope and joy and and purpose in life that you didn't have before. I hope you have seen Jesus grow your love as part of this family. I I hope you have seen Jesus at work. You're called to testify to that. So your job description in life, the reason for your existence is to tell people that Jesus is real. That he died for our sins and rose from the dead so we could have eternal life as a free gift. And you know that because he has reached into your life. And he has set you free. You're to share that with people. And then you're to show them that he really has set you free by living out a Jesus-like life. You're called to, to love like Jesus. To have peace like Jesus. To forgive like Jesus. And, and by doing that, you show the world that he's real. Remember, Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. That's how we testify to the truth of Jesus as we love people so radically, so supernaturally that the world can't help but say there is something real going on there. So we testify to Jesus with our words and with our deeds to show the world that he's real. That there is a savior in heaven for them. So I I love this quote from a great Scottish theologian. A guy named William Barclay. There are two great days in a person's life. The day we are born and the day we discover why. And for some of you that's today. You now know why. Why you were born. Why you exist. Is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. 
praying and worship, all of that you're going to do better in heaven, but you can't be a witness in heaven because everybody there already knows the guy. You are here so that you can tell the people of this world who don't yet know Jesus about him. So you can testify about the truth of Jesus Christ and about how he's transformed your life. So that is your reason for existence. That is your job description. The problem is that job is hard. So we need strength. We need help. And that's the third part of our statement. Acts is a story of those who are witnesses of Jesus who are empowered by his spirit. And so Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit in this chapter, how the Spirit comes and gives us strength. And in this this passage we read, Jesus tells us a couple things that the Holy Spirit does. First of all, verse 5, he tells us about how the Holy Spirit baptizes us. To baptize is to identify a person with a group so that that person now belongs to that group. So how do you become part of this group we call the church? It's through the Holy Spirit. It's not by taking a membership class. It's not by showing up on Sunday morning. It's through the Holy Spirit. And we learn from later in scripture that the Holy Spirit baptized you into the church the instant you trusted in Jesus. You didn't see it. You didn't necessarily feel it, but it happened for real. He baptized you so that you joined this Family. So he baptized you into this family. The second thing that we're told the Holy Spirit does in our life here in this passage, Jesus says in verse 8, he gives us power. You will receive power in your life. And we need that because when you think about being a witness of Jesus, it's really hard to do that when it costs you. And in our culture, it's going to cost you. If you boldly tell people about Jesus, that is going to cost you friendships. And it's going to cost you respect. It could even cost you your job. And in other cultures around the world, it's costing some of our brothers and sisters in Christ their freedom and their lives to testify about Jesus. That's hard. That's costly. But not only is it costly to speak about Jesus, it's costly to model Jesus' love to the world. Remember, we're supposed to show them that Jesus is real, both in our words and our deeds. It's really hard to do the deeds part. To love people like Jesus does, to be patient like Jesus, forgiving like Jesus, gracious like Jesus, that is too hard for me. I can't do that. I need help. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit comes in and fills your life the moment you trust in Jesus. And and he's not just there to make you feel good. He's there to give you power supernatural power to be the witness you were called to be. And you actually see that happen in the life of a guy named Peter. So turn just a few chapters over, Acts chapter 4. Let's see what happens to Peter just, I guess, a few days after the Holy Spirit fills his life, comes into his life. Peter is out in Jerusalem and he heals a guy, an amazing, miraculous healing. And the religious leaders who crucified Jesus, they don't like that. They don't like Peter getting praise. And so they bring Peter, they arrest him and bring him for trial before their religious council. So I want you to picture, Peter is standing before the same group of men who condemned and crucified Jesus just maybe a matter of a few weeks ago. Look at how he responds. Verse 8 of chapter 4. 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now as they, the religious council, observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Peter is bold here. I want you to think about what Peter's saying. To the guys who have the power to put you to death, he just said, you crucified your Messiah. You crucified, it's your fault. He's dropping truth bombs in the middle of this religious council and he's doing it without fear. And what's amazing is to remember just a matter of weeks before this, maybe like 50, 60 days before this moment, what was Peter doing? He was denying Jesus. Jesus, his Lord, was arrested And Peter was questioned and he chickened out. He was a coward. A slave girl questions him and he swears he never knew the man. And then he runs away weeping. How do you explain such incredible transformation from a coward to a bold lion for the faith? It's the Holy Spirit. That's the only way to explain what's happened. And and here's why this matters. Because sometimes we read this and we think, well, great for Peter. He's an apostle. No, the same spirit that was in Peter is in you. In the same amount and in the same way. This can be you. There was nothing special about Peter that meant he could do this where you and I cannot. This is all about the Holy Spirit. And you have him. He lives in you to empower you to have courage and boldness to share the gospel with people who don't yet know Jesus. So, the story of Acts is the story of the unstoppable growth of God's kingdom, the church. Through witnesses of Jesus like you and me who are empowered by the Holy Spirit in the same way Peter was. The Spirit gives us power so that we can be witnesses of Jesus to every nation. We're called to reach every nation with the good news of the gospel. So Jesus says in the passage we looked at, Acts chapter 1, he says to be witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. That's, that's the whole earth. That's everyone. That echoes Jesus' great commission into Matthew 28. Make disciples of all nations. So Jesus commanded all the church to be his witnesses to all people. And, And fascinatingly, at the end of the story, the end of the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, we actually get to see the moment when Jesus gets what he desired. So it's, it's in Revelation, it's chapter 7, John is given a, a prophetic vision of a future day. This has not happened yet, but it's coming. A great multitude that no one could number from, every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the worship service you're waiting for. 
That's when worship is going to be amazing. When there are people from every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth worshiping the Father and the Son with you. That day is coming. Jesus is going to get what Jesus wants, and we are the way. Our job description is to make that happen. Now, we can't save people. Only God can do that. But we're called to be the witnesses who take them the good news so that God can draw them into his kingdom. That is our job to reach all the nations. Now, I, I didn't understand that when I was a kid. I grew up in a small little Bible church, not, not too dissimilar from Grace Bible Church, only much smaller. And every year we had a mission conference. And, and mission conferences are great. I, I highly recommend them. But there was kind of an unintended negative consequence that came from the missions conference every year. So one Sunday out of every year, um, the, the pastors, elders would have missionaries come and speak. And the problem was they, already got, they always got the people with the most radical stories. So it would be somebody who gets up and talks about living in a mud hut and eating grasshoppers so that they can share the gospel with people who haven't heard. And so my assumption from that was, well, missions is for radical people. Missions is like that thing for people who actually like to eat grasshoppers and live in mud huts, but it's not for me. Well, as I've grown older, I've learned that's not the case. Missions is actually for all of us because it's for the church and we are the church. All of us are called to missions. Now, that does not mean that God is calling you personally to live in a mud hut and eat grasshoppers. I don't know what God's call is for your individual life. What I do know is that every single one of us are called to be involved in God's plan of reaching the nations with the good news. So it may mean that you go. It may mean that you pray and support those who go. Those are kind of the two options. You may end up doing both at different times in your life. That's how it works for a lot of us. And so to that end, what I want to do, I want to challenge you to start praying for a couple things. If you're not, maybe you already are, but if you're not, I want you to start praying for two new things. So the first thing that I want you to pray for is that God will cause you to love the nations like he does. Because God loves the nations, desperately loves the nations. want all nations, all people groups to hear the good news about Jesus and be saved. That is the desire of God's heart. Pray that it would be your desire too. That God would stir within you a desperate love for the nations so that every time you read the news, every time you see something going on in some country somewhere in the world, you would care about that. Okay, so that God would stir up within you a love for the nations. That's the first thing I want you to pray for on a regular basis. This would just become part of what you do. Second thing I would ask you to start praying for is that God would soften your heart so that you would be willing to follow him anywhere. Again, I, I don't know what his call is on your individual life. I, I don't know whether he's calling you to go or to say in support. I, I don't know what the particulars are, but my prayer is that you will ask him to soften your heart so that you will be willing to follow him anywhere. And so pray for a soft heart and a love for the nations. And as you pray for those things, if you say, well, I'm, I'm praying for a love for the nations, I'm praying for a soft heart, but I just don't know what to do next. Like, I need some, I need some information. I need some directives. Who can I talk to about how to get involved in this task of reaching the nations? Well, we would love to help you with that. That'd be a great conversation. Talk to anyone on staff, anyone with a name tag, grab us in the foyer, say, hey, I, 
I would love to get involved in reaching the nations. I don't know how. Please tell me what to do. So come talk to one of us. We've got these amazing groups called Go Groups that pull people together who are, are, are growing in their passion and their conviction to somehow be part of what God is doing in the world. We'd love to get you plugged into a Go Group, get you connected with someone who can help you see what God's mission is for, for your particular life, his calling on your life for how you're going to be involved. So all of us in some way are called to help get the gospel to all the nations. And we're to do that until Jesus returns. So now until Jesus comes back, we're to be involved in this task. This is our job description. When you read the book of Acts, it's a very triumphant book. It's a really motivational and inspiring book. It gives you courage. Again, that's why it was written, to give people in the church, courage to follow Jesus. And that courage really begins at the end of the passage we read today. Look again at chapter 1. Look at verses 9 through 11 again. After he, that is Jesus, had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So Jesus ascends into heaven. And as they, the disciples, were gazing intently, or literally in Greek, they were just staring into the sky while he was going. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same ways you've watched him go into heaven. So what's happening is the disciples are staring into the sky for so long that God has to send angels to them to say, hey guys, that's enough standing around. You have work to do. And then what's really significant is the end of verse 11. They tell him, you don't have to like wait and watch. When he comes back, you will know it. When he comes back, it's not going to be like the first time. His first coming was incognito. He came as a baby who was poor, born in a dirty manger, and everybody missed it. It's just his parents and some shepherds there because no one knew it was happening. Won't be like that the second time. Second time, he will descend from heaven in glory. Everyone in the world will see it and be amazed. We're told in the book of Revelation, he will not come as a child. He will come as a conquering king, riding on a white horse full of power and might. And, And what that means for us is that we can have confidence because... We've picked the winning team. That's what Revelation is about. You pick the winning team. You're just waiting for your star quarterback to take the field. And then it's going to be a blowout. It's not going to be close. You are on the winning team. And so you can have confidence to boldly follow Jesus and be his witness because you know you will win. And so as we wait for that day of victory, when our king comes back, our job is to be his witnesses telling everyone here and throughout the world about the truth and reality of Jesus' death and resurrection for forgiveness of our sins and sharing with them the story of how Jesus has set us personally free from shame and guilt so that we can walk in truth and love. If that's your job, and ultimately that's what every knee is about. That is why we're doing every knee. That's why we're building a Creekside campus. That's why we're looking at a Bryan property. Because we, we want more people in this town to hear about Jesus. We want to be more able to witness to the truth and reality of Jesus in our lives. It's why we're starting a church planning residency. Because we need to get outside of just the Bryan College Station area. We need to see people going and taking the, the testimony about Jesus to the far reaches of this planet. So we are involved in doing that, and we invite you to join us. 
And so that's what today and next week are about, is just challenging you to think about your part and, and what God is doing through the church. So particularly, as you think about your life and how it intersects with the book of Acts, the first question to ask is, are you part of the story? So th- this story is about the church. So the question is, have you become part of Jesus's family? If not, it's really easy. You can become part of this story right now. All, all you have to do is choose to believe it's real. That Jesus really did die for your sins and rise from the dead so you could have eternal life as a free gift. Just say to Jesus, yes. I believe that. I want to be part of your family. I want to receive forgiveness from you, Jesus. I want you to be my savior. The moment you say that to Jesus, this story becomes your story because you become part of the family of God. If you are part of this story, if you're part of the family of Jesus, then the second thing that I want you to begin to ask yourself this week is what is your personal role in this story? You have some role. I know that. You're part of the church. This is your job description on earth. So what are you doing as part of of your job description? How are you testifying to the truth of Jesus? I want you to think about how are you giving your life to Jesus so that other people can come to know him. And in particular, I I want you to think today, and and we're going to pray in a moment. I want you to think as I'm praying. I want you to honestly ask yourself, am I ready to testify? Do, Do I know what I would say? Have you thought through the gospel? Do you know how to tell someone about what Jesus did? If you don't, we can help you. Come talk to any of us on staff or in leadership. We'll walk you through the gospel so you know how to share it. Also, I want you to ask yourself, not only can I talk about Jesus, but can I share my own story? We call that a testimony. Are you ready to share your testimony of what Jesus has done in your life? If not, I want you to think through that. That's the most important story you could share with someone. So I I want you to be thinking about how you can be ready to share. And then, and probably more important, I want you to think about who you can share with. So in particular, I want you to think about three people in your life. I want you to think about three people by name. I want you to think about their names. Think about what their names are. I want you to picture their faces. These are people you know, family, friends, classmates, coworkers, neighbors. People you know who don't yet know Jesus. So I told you earlier, I want you to start praying for a couple things. Pray to love the nations. Pray for a soft heart that will follow God anywhere. I'm going to give you two more things to pray for. So four things total. So number four, I want you to pray for your three. I want you to pray that God would get hold of them and open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. I want you to pray that God would soften their hearts so that they would be willing to admit, I need a savior. I I, I would ask you to pray that God would would help them to be ready to hear the gospel and believe. So you're going to pray for the salvation of your three, and then fourth and final thing to pray for. Pray that you would have the courage to be the one who tells them. Pray that God would make you bold like Peter in chapter 4, bold through the Holy Spirit, to be the one to share with them the good news of Jesus. If you will pray for those four things, God will do amazing things through your life as he continues to write the story of the book of Acts. Let's go before the Lord and let's ask him for these things. Lord, we thank you so much that you have invited us into your story. 
We praise you that you would want to use us in eternally significant ways, even though we are weak and broken. You want to use us to to draw people to your son. You want to use us to build your kingdom, the church. We, We praise you that you have such a high calling for our lives, that you honor us with that. We pray, Lord God, that for each and every one of us, that we would have the courage through your spirit to follow you anywhere. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to be courageous here in our own town. We pray that you would help us to boldly share the good news of Jesus with the people in our lives who don't yet know him. And right now, Lord, we just individually, each of us just want to come before you with three names of people in our lives who don't yet know you. We pray that you would open their eyes, soften their hearts, and save them. Lord God, we pray that you would give each of us courage to be the ones who share the good news with them. We pray, Lord, that you would give us opportunities to do that. Please give us clarity so that we can speak the words of the gospel and the the story of your work in our lives clearly. We pray, um, give us the courage and the opportunity to share that soon. We pray, God, that you would use us to bless this world, all for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, who's worthy of this. Thank you, Jesus that you gave your life for us. We owe everything to you. We praise you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. I'll see you next week.